Destroy All Children is a website just for you If playing with video games is what you like to do Or riding your brain with comics and first run movies too We've got a great selection of news and reviews So search us out on the web, you just won't get enough Of all our digital madness and other fancy stuff We'll also make you laugh until your tummy's feeling buff Destroy All Children you should go there now. Yeah. All right, here we are. Eventful week this time. Got a lot yeah. to talk about. I'm Larry Davis. With me is George Brundle. Hi. And uh, before we start, can I just say congratulations uh, on your guest spot on uh, the On Cinema Oscar special? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, I you don't know. It. I haven't watched it because they have not archived it. I saw the first hour or so before I had to go to sleep because I needed to get back up at like 11pm to do an event in Fantasy Star Online 2 in the beta. Ooh. So that way I would unlock a thing that can turn my mag into a Dreamcast. <gasps> you, have they, little, you have a little floating wait, Dreamcast. They, they still let you do that? Yeah. Can you turn it into like other Sega systems, like a, a Sega Saturn, perhaps? I don't know. This was just like the the thing. If you do three of these timed events in the beta, get a thing that turns it into a Dreamcast. I see. I just wanted to plant that Sega Saturn seed right now, so that I could bloom, blossom into a beautiful game later on in this sure. podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. You know where I'm going with that. Uh, yeah. The audience probably does too, because they would have read. The title of this episode mm-hmm. uh, But I'm going to act like it's a secret for now So first everyone later. I would like to say I did finish Star Wars Jedi colon Fallen Order Finally Yeah Man <laughs> That game takes I'm a bit over this podcast like a grim specter Yeah but hey I will tell you The end of it really good Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, it takes a dip before then Like that game is too long Especially the trip back to Kashyyyk Is really boring and bad um, Also, do you remember mm. early When I talked about how I went to uh, Dathomir And Grease was like I-, I don't know if we should really be here yet Yeah, uh, I forgot to mention But um, yeah, like don't bother with that Because you can't actually do anything I progressed for a while And then just hit a point where Cal was like yeah, I can't jump high enough to get past this. And then I had to backtrack all the way back to the <laughs> ship because there's I no fast travel. I saw a YouTube thumbnail of the final boss battle in that game. Uh, so I know that a certain character shows up. I'm not sure if that's like a spoiler, though, necessarily, or if they allude to that character showing up nope. well before it happens. Nope. That's what makes so it, it so good. Okay. Because, well, like, that game... Yes, that's something that should be kind of like a dumb fan service thing, but when it happens, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, and the end of it is rad. Yeah, I watched that sequence and it is very good, and yeah. it made me more interested in playing the game. But uh, yeah, if that was not something that was like telegraphed ahead of time, then I wish I maybe didn't see it. But also, I don't know. A lot of the stuff you've been telling me doesn't necessarily make me want to play the game anyway, so maybe I'm better off just having watched that. Yes, honestly, I would just, I would say just watch the cutscenes because the story in it is really good. 
but actually playing it I did not have that much fun with. However, I do think it's funny that as much of a buggy mess as that game is, there are still people who are like, well, no, I played it all and never saw any. And let me tell you, those people are just telling on themselves because there's a bug that happened 100% of the time, and I have not really looked it up, but I suspect that is the case no matter who you are or what console you're playing on. So, every time you open a crate, Cal opens it, BD-1 hops off of his shoulder, rummages around in it, then pops out and you get the item. If you open a crate underwater, nothing happens. The crate rummages around as though BD is in it, even though he does not leave your shoulder, and then you get the item. And Cal acts (laughs) like he found it. That happens 100% of the time. And I don't, like, it's not like there's only one crate underwater either. Like, there are a lot of them. And apparently Respawn was just like, I don't know. Whatever. Get this out. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, any other thoughts on this Star Wars game that we talked about a lot? Because I'm actually very interested in hearing about uh, Fantasy Star. I kind of want to get into that with you. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. No, that that's kind of it. It's a mediocre action adventure Metroid type kind of game. Uh, really good characters, really good story. I enjoyed that. Uh, probably the best Star Wars story in a game since the Knights of the Old Republic games. Um, but uh, yeah, go watch, like watch a movie version of it. I I'd recommend taking the Peace Walker approach to this. <laughs> So, Fantasy Star, uh, I kind of want to, just before we get into this, uh, I was big into the Segas uh, back in the day. Uh, the Sega Genesis is what I had. Uh, we talked about it on this podcast before. It didn't have good access to Nintendo stuff until the 64. Uh, but I did have a Dreamcast, and uh, Fantasy Star Online appeared in a lot of magazines, and I was super enamored with its art style and very curious about, like, the whole online RPG thing uh, before <laughs> later on in life, finding out it's not for me. Uh, but I never could actually get the game and try it out for myself. So want to live vicariously through you. Ter- tell me about the new Fantasy Star Online. Well, for one thing, this game came out in 2012. Um, Perfect. <laughs> Brand new. <laughs> yep, it is just now coming out here. Or at least the beta did. I don't think there's actually an official date for the full US release. Um so it I don't know that this one actually plays that much like the first one. I think it's much more action focused. I'm not sure. I never played the first one either. Uh because I did not have internet capabilities to play online games until about the Xbox 360. Oh sure. I mean like trying to get all that stuff going back then on the Dreamcast 2 was just more of a pain in the ass than me at that age wanted to even look. Sure. Um, yeah, so figure out yeah. this. I did play a bit of Fantasy Star Universe on 360. and was not that into it, but apparently that is the case for most people who played it. Uh, so, PSO2, it's, um, it's more action-based than a lot of RPGs, like MMOs, would be. Uh, like it's a lot of it's almost like an MMO Dynasty Warriors in a way, 
not with that massive amount of characters on screen, but um, just like a lot of doing quick combos, dashing around, using your abilities. Uh, okay, so is it? Would you describe it as being Warframe esque? A little bit. I think Warframe probably took a lot from it. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's kind of the weird thing is there are gunner types that can like manually aim and so to do that you would be like moving around and aiming with the sticks and then shooting with one of the face buttons i guess you can remap it um from what i could tell the ui is the same i was playing on xbox um, but it seems like it's exactly the same as the pc ui um which by default is very very small on a 4k display which is nice because it always boots with that really tiny window and then it realizes uh, that I had, like it loads in the user settings and it's like, oh, you wanted these to be readable. Yeah, so, I, uh, anyway, my I, main is, uh, I mained Hunter, I got to about level 20 um, and I had a good time with it. I'll play more of it when it's actually out. I don't know if level progress and stuff carries over uh, I uh, maybe actually am more interested now hearing that it is uh, maybe closer to a Warframe instead of what I was expecting which was a lot more traditional MMO because uh, like Warframe I think that plays fine I played it uh, when Warframe kind of first came out and I thought it felt terrible uh, but yeah. having jumped into it over like the last year They've they've definitely reshaped that game and the way that it feels in a way that I I think it now actually feels pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't... hate the parts where I have to grind everything out, like the the MMO stuff with grinding and levels and getting loot is still suck ass, and I want nothing to do with it. So, is there like is that stuff just as bad in Fantasy Star or? Um, I'm gonna say no because I could at least tell what I was supposed to do and where I was supposed to go. Okay. When I tried playing Warframe, I could not make heads or tails of it. Warframe just kind of everything also looked the same to me, but I guess I was locked into those few like early planets, and then I kind of fell off of it. Uh, whereas like so. the original Fantasy Star Online had a much more vibrant style. Things like looked fairly distinct. Also, uh, um, so I think this might be part of the result of it coming here so late, and I don't know if this was just the case in the beta or not. But it seems like it is not grindy at all. Like they are constantly giving you like boosts and other mm. stuff, and I think that might be like to try to get you to level as many classes as possible because you can level all of them on the same character, like in Final Fantasy fourteen. Good. Um, and you can select them like you can take abilities from one, use it as a subclass in another one. Um, yeah. so it, it it is incentivizing you to level various classes. Uh, the character storage is way too low. I don't know why that's you have you can carry like fifty items I think on your character and then you have to store them. Uh, but I was constantly like having to just discard stuff in dungeons in order to pick up new weapons or discs to learn skills. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah PSO two, I, I, I liked it. I'll play more of it. Uh, I recommend that you get into it because it's 
I'm pretty sure it has crossplay between platforms. I would hope so. Yeah, I might give it a shot. Like, I, I don't know. MMOs are weird for me. I've I've never played one that I've liked. Uh, there's been like bits and pieces of ones I've tried where I'm like, oh, I enjoy this. Like, again, Warframe, I like the way that that game actually feels. Uh, but all the the rest of the MMO trappings is where I tend to just completely fall off with them. A lot of my issues with MMOs are just kind of tied up in progression uh, or the more traditional way they play where it's just, you know, you got your moves on cooldown on the bar and you're just kind of clicking where you want your character to go and you're just killing the same shit over and over and over again. Well, this one I think works much better as like a podcast game, you know, Mm. Um, and you could play it in sort of the same way. You don't have to pay much attention to what's actually happening on screen. (laughs) Uh, it seems See, now you're impossible to die. <laughs> it seems nearly impossible to die, from what I could tell. See, I don't know that that starts to push me away from it again because I don't. The games that I like that I don't really have to pay too much attention to the screen tend to just very specifically be like city building sims, uh, stuff like uh, Civilization, like strategy based games where like you're spending a lot of time just constructing stuff. Uh, not so much combat-oriented games. Well, you can give it a try. It's free anyway, so eh, whatever. Yeah, why not? I've given so many MMOs a try. Why not? Sure. Except yeah. for Final Fantasy fourteen, the best one. Yeah, yeah, that's the only one I really haven't uh, tried. World of Warcrafts, Black Black Desert. You said uh, Black Desert. Tried the Black Desert character creator. Um, yeah, that that's really good. <laughs> it's pretty much the only thing you want to mess around with. Uh, still, probably one of the best character creators in in games. What was that one where it was just like the the, the all the girls had the the titties and you saw their nipples all the time, but like only through their outfit. Uh, I don't know. Tried that for a little bit for some reason. <laughs> oh, that it's like what was it like Red Blade or something? Yeah, uh, Scarlet Blade. Okay. Yeah, that fucking thing. That's not around anymore. Not surprised about that. Shocking. Uh, yeah. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei Online, I tried that back in the day. Not Ooh. good. Yeah. Yeah. One of the bad Megatons, it turns out. I don't know. I like MMOs how you have are... played more MMOs than I have. <laughs> Apparently. I played... Final Fantasy XI, that was my first one Then City of Heroes Then World of Warcraft uh, Star Wars The, Onrep- the Old Republic um, I tried that one too that With you good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then Final Fantasy XIV mm. I don't think I've tried any others Between those that I can think of Anyway, speaking of Final Fantasy XIV Bioware yeah. Oh no! <laughs> Bioware took a look at Anthem and was like, "Hold on a second, we released this, and people were paying money for it." <laughs> did uh, it maybe did well by the end of that year? But I know it was not where they wanted it to be at the start of the year. Well, I can tell you that you could buy copies of Anthem for five dollars fairly recently. Uh, that still sounds like a bit too much to me, but it does. I considered it and thought, hmm, also it's Anthem. 
Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I'd fuck around in it if it were free. I mean, I beat damn near all of Destiny 2 because it was free. So Destiny 2 seems a lot better. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah. So Bioware is putting Anthem on hold, and they are remaking it. An Anthem Great. 2.0. Anthem, A Realm Reborn. Yeah, it can join uh, all the other games that came out weren't very good and got remade, like Destiny, Destiny 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2, Those No are... Man's Sky, okay. Final Fantasy 14. I guess I'll give you No Man's Sky. The others I don't think really count. Uh, Battlefront 2, I would say, like, they really overhauled progression in that thing. Uh, my understanding of that it is it is very different outside of just the basic. Hey, it's still a first-person shooter, and we kept all these maps and I, game mode progression. I, and I reinstalled it and did not see much difference. But oh, okay, yeah, all right. All right. I mean, yeah, well, the, the, your... progress, the progression's different, but like that's kind of it. It's still oh. the same game. Still. I put both Destiny 1 and 2 on there because I actually cannot remember which one had the bigger overhaul, but I remember them needing to change shit uh, pretty significantly about both. Like, I think with uh, with 2, wasn't it all the Ingram stuff that they were doing? I don't know. I didn't keep up on any of that. I played through Destiny 2 when it came out and then did not think about it again. My, uh, besides getting it for free, my experience with Destiny 2 was drinking a whole lot of Monster Energy drink, which I had not had for years up to Dude, that point. Dude, the drink violently from Death Stranding? Ill. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I needed the energy, and then I got too much energy, and then I felt like I was going to die. Hard man. So really, Destiny 2 is the best game to play while in that kind of, like, physical space. I can believe it. Oh. Man. Anyway, yeah. Anthem's being remade. Congratulations long. to Bioware. Thanks. Well, you had news. This is bigger news. Oh, yes. This is about something uh, we would be interested in playing someday. Birds of Prey has no. earned poorly at the books. No, not this. <laughs> New Wes Anderson movie <laughs> coming out in July, I think. Very excited about that. That actually looks good. I know I gave you shit because I'm not a Wes Anderson fan, but it's got a really good cast on it. I was uh, not a Wes Anderson fan for a long time because it turned out I only watched his bad ones. <laughs> I mean, that might also be the case with me. I've just not gotten to the place that you did where you were willing to give it another shot. That's why I uh, said watch Grand Budapest Hotel, because that's the best one. Eh, well. Maybe someday. Put that... Put that on my list right next to The Godfather. It has Willem Dafoe as a weird vampire man henchman. Does. But I feel like also if I'm going to watch a Willem Dafoe movie right now, it's probably going to be The Lighthouse, which I've also not yet oh, seen. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, that's really good. I rented Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, I have not oh, watched it winner yet. Of, uh, winner of Best uh, Sound Design? Or was it Sound Mixing? I don't know. Who fucking knows the Probably. difference between those two things? Hey, congratulations to Bong John Ho, uh, J Bong Jun Ho. Excuse me. Uh, I look forward to his next movie coming out and being garbage. Korean version of John Bon Jovi. Yes, definitely. Uh, 
that's good that he came back considering uh, Snowpiercer was a stinker. So mm-hmm. I I look forward to people like seeing this Oscar nomination, then going and watching that and being like, okay, yeah, great. So hey, Mother, great movie. Yeah, I'm glad that Joaquin Phoenix uh, won Best Actor, uh, even though I think. I I think like uh the composer of that movie also won an award too, yes. and those would be the two things I think actually do deserve to win an Oscar uh out of the Joker, an otherwise very mediocre movie. Yep, uh, some would say outright bad, including me. But uh, well, yes, that, <laughs> that's why uh, I pull back a little bit from it. But sure. Um, yeah, that that was what I said before. I was like, I it's getting nominated for stuff, but. Best actor and best score are probably the only things it'll get. And hey, yeah. at least I got that right. Didn't get much else score right about the movie. Oscars. Yeah, sure. Uh, anyway, that uh, the Academy did not want to vote for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's very strange. Oh, yeah, did that not win it? Anything? And Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt got something. Yeah, he got best supporting it. actor for it, but that was it, which is bizarre to me because I just rewatched that yesterday, and I like it even more. Than I did the first time. I really do want to give it another shot. I need to. I need to get a hold of that thing. It's odd. The um, second time through, it does not feel nearly as long. I, I actually didn't think it felt that long in the theater either, but it seemed like it went by much quicker. Which Tarantino I guess is often the case. But the few I have seen in theaters, uh, which has been Kill Bill Volume One, uh, Glorious Bastards, Django Unchained. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm a very old, old man. Uh, I had to rent Kill not... Bill from the video store and assure oh, no. them that I could it was... rent an R-rated movie. What? It was two that I watched in theaters. I'm sorry, it was not one. Okay. Doesn't make me that much younger, but for the sake of being honest. Uh, none of those felt their length. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for me actually did feel its length. Uh, weirdly enough, but I still really, really liked that movie, and I am curious if it does not feel quite as long for me being able to watch it from the comfort of my own home. I'm interested uh, in that extended cut they mentioned um, that Tarantino's been talking about, maybe going on Netflix, uh, specifically <laughs> because I forgot that he credits Tim Roth in the credits and even mentions okay. cut next to it, and I want to see what Tim Roth's scene was. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, but to, to finish my thought there, like I, I've always enjoyed Tarantino movies I've seen in theaters. I always enjoy them more when I'm watching them from the comfort of my own home and can just get up and maybe take a break or actually like eat something that is not just popcorn and soda. Um, like actually have a meal to go with this very long movie. Um even though I think that Tarantino movies like the first watch absolutely should be in a theater. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I am really glad I went to see the hateful eight in the theater, for example, and Django, but um, yes, I like them more on rewatching at home. I couldn't see hateful eight because the uh, small town that I'm in, they, they had played every Tarantino movie up to this point, And then it was between inglorious bastards and hateful eight. Uh, or I'm sorry, rather it was between Django Unchained and Hateful Eight that they got bought out. 
uh, and the new company that came in, I guess, had a no Tarantino policy because they did not want to run Hateful Eight. Uh, they also did not run Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, except somehow, for some reason, the Dollar Theater here ended up getting it, like, I want to say maybe a month after it released. Cool. So, thankfully, I was still able to go see it, but there was a, a while there where I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to go see another Tarantino movie in this You game. know, they're they're really good business owners and they're like we're not going to run movies from this famous director that people want to go see yeah Uh, they've made a lot of bad decisions i don't want to spend a huge amount of this podcast getting into um but uh in the news system shock 3 that probably ain't a game anymore woo oh yeah showdown up to being unemployed (laughs) uninstalling showdown Going to add and remove programs? Clicking remove. Uh, yeah, so the team is, quote, no longer employed. Uh, reading off a, uh, a report on IGN, uh, this follows previous reports of other core members of the team announcing their departure over the past five months, including System Shock 3's writer and director, lead programmer, and others. This week, design director Chase Jones changed his LinkedIn profile to reflect the end of his time at Other Side. Uh, apparently, the game was critically behind in development. Um, I think like the last thing that they showed for this was a trailer in September. I don't uh, know that I ever even saw that, honestly. It looked really, really good and had me actually excited for this thing. And it had come up in conversation with a, another friend of mine, uh, just last month, and so it was hot on my mind, and then I saw this pop up in my feed, and it gutted me. Because mm. uh, there's this doesn't outright say that the game is canceled, but like, come on. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so the System Shock One remake is still happening, right? Isn't that Night Dive Studios that's making it? I don't know. Uh. I would assume it's still happening, but I feel like I've heard even less about that than I have about System Shock 3. Or at the very least, like, it's been a lot longer since I've heard about the remake. That was the confusing part for me, because when you mentioned System Shock 3, I think was, uh, maybe it, I don't remember when it was you said it, but it was confusing to me because I was like, oh, you mean the remake? And you're like, no, System Shock 3. So they were separate things. Uh, System Shock developed and published by Night Dive Studios. Um, <laughs> it's planned to have a simultaneous release in early 2020. So, <laughs> right, we'll uh, see how that goes. Yeah, th- this is all uh, being. Uh, this has been put out there. Uh, I should note by an anonymous poster uh, who is claiming to be uh, part of the other side development team. Uh, they posted this on RPG Codex. Um, it, apparently, this is uh, partly the fault of some stuff that has been going down over at Starbreeze, um, which I think was, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what that was, but there was some sort of shakeup there that no doubt had an impact on development. Oh, that was, they were bought by That's the payday right, yeah. people, Overkill? Yeah, overkill. So that that must be it. 
Yeah, because uh, this also points out this article, Starbreeze decided to sell off the publishing rights to System Shock 3 back to other side in order to raise the desperately needed cash it required to continue operations. Uh, with other sides seemingly now floating in the ether, creative D director Warren Spector uh, told VGC that the company was in talks with a lot of interested publishers. Uh, this was back in May 2019. He told VGC that the company had enough capital to fund itself for a period of time and was considering self-publishing System Shock 3. And poor Warren Spector. He's like oh, Warren geez. Lanning, but without the actual money behind it. Yeah. Oh, man. I like Warren yeah, Spector so a lot, uh... liked his games. Uh, a shame about Epic Mickey, which it seems like he was really hamstrung by Disney on that one, honestly. The thing I like that I didn't read uh, on this, the attributions for Warren Spector were listed as System Shock, great game, uh -huh. Deus Ex, Revolutionary. Absolutely. Epic Mickey. <laughs> Doesn't mention Thief? <laughs> no. Great. <laughs> Just those three. Oh, wait, no, Thief was Harvey Smith. Again, I'm oh, right. Yeah. Still, there's other Warren Spector games that you can list on there instead of Epic Mickey. Like, you don't need to drag that man through the mud on that thing yeah, anymore like all the all the ultimas he was involved sure. with ultima 7 yeah. one of the best games of all time so like uh and what else did he do epic, I'm epic mickey 2. oh he did he did do thief 2 okay uh well there so yeah i guess it was just thief 1 was Harvey Smith and Thief Deadly Shadows, which honestly is my favorite, which I know is. And you can say Warren Spector is a thief as he has stolen all of our hearts with his uh, great video games. Sure. Why not? Res best of luck, Warren Spector and all the staff that got laid off that was working on System Shock 3. Huh, he worked on the Wing Commander games. I did not know that. Yeah, great. They could have listed that. <laughs> they could have listed the Wing Commanders. Just only the Wing Commanders, all of them. Yeah. Epic Mickey. Fuck. Uh, also, uh, I briefly brought this up. I just mostly think this story is funny, even though I don't care about the movie at all, and neither does anyone else, apparently, because Birds of Prey has had the worst opening weekend for any of the DC movies. Uh, it is uh, in its opening weekend. It made something to the tune of eighty-one million dollars on a budget of ninety-seven million. Who knows how much on top of that is marketing? Uh, so that's definitely not going to make the money it needs to make to not be a flop. Nobody could have seen this coming. <laughs> yeah. Who, who could have imagined that the follow-up, the direct follow-up to Suicide Squad would have performed poorly? Yeah. Especially something that should be aimed at, like, younger girls that instead they decided, we gotta make this rated R because that's the hot new thing. And that probably hurt ticket sales quite a bit. Yeah. That said... Well, I think it kind of looks better than most of the other DC movies, so I will probably end up watching it whenever it hits Blu-ray. But I just I really despise the uh, design they have going for Harley Quinn in that thing. But also, yep. I'm one of those people who just despises anything that's not the original, like checker 
bodysuit thing. Yeah, I I don't like any of that stuff. Um, I especially don't like. I especially don't like the designs for Black Canary. Um, and Cassandra Kane like does not look like Cassandra Kane. Here's the thing. Okay. Why make a movie called Birds of Prey, and then only include one character from Birds of Prey? I don't know. Well, I guess uh, too, because Huntress this, is in it, but like apparently brief, barely. There's this brief confusion at like one point in the last couple of days that they had actually pulled a uh, Edge of Tomorrow and like renamed the movie. Yeah, they should. Was it, it was Edge of Tomorrow that did that? Right, I'm not. Uh, for home video release, yeah, they. Well, I okay. don't. I don't know if the title actually changed, but the box says "Live, Die, Repeat: Edge of Tomorrow." Um, it's like the would... the Lady Ghostbusters, where the home video says "Ghostbusters Answer the Call." Yeah, uh, but there was some confusion that they had renamed the movie to Harley Quinn: Colon Birds of Prey. Uh, but apparently that's not true. It, it's still the whole like long-winded emancipation of Harley Quinn thing so uh yeah they should have called honestly, it harley quinn birds of prey yes yeah exactly way easier to remember that title also puts like harley quinn the character that people like would actually care about the most like as far as the dumb general movie going audience like right at the front sure um but yeah it, it's just weird to me that they went this route instead of just Put Catwoman and Poison Ivy in it and make it a Gotham City Sirens movie. Like, come, come on. What are you doing? Out of, out of all the movies they have done, though, they've really only kind of got it right twice. And that was with Shazam and, like, their DC black label movie thing with Joker. And, like, even that, again, Joker, I think is just kind of okay. But like it was... it's still a hell of a lot better than Batman vs Superman or Suicide Squad or Man of Steel or Justice League. Yeah, I don't. I think Joker is bad, but I also think it is the right direction for them to be taking. Yeah, like I would like to see them do more of that stuff, like push harder into that than they do this like cinematic universe that's still very much designed, uh, very much. Defined by Zack Snyder's aesthetics, which I am frankly just repulsed by. I hate the look of all of his movies. Mm-hmm. I hate the tone of all of his movies, so I mm-hmm. want like virtually nothing to do with any of this. But they're they're still living and dying by that, with the exception of Shazam. Uh, the best one. Yeah. Uh, I should note, I have very little familiarity with Aquaman, which is a movie that apparently a lot of people like for some reason. I uh, saw and... parts of it in... I don't want to watch the rest. The movie's also Wonder, Wonder Woman is a, another one that people seem to really like, but uh, as you'll find out later on in this podcast, I don't give a shit about Wonder Woman. I thought it was okay. I would not watch it again. I'm, I'll admit I'm a little bit interested in this new one that they're doing. I hope it's good. I don't necessarily want bad things to happen for DC and DC movies, but honestly, they kind of bring a lot of this on themselves, so I don't feel sorry either. Yeah, I felt the best part of the first one was Chris Pine. Um, and so him being back Excellent. inexplicably in the sequel, despite exploding like Krillin, um, that plus Pedro Pascal the Great 
Pedro Pascal, aka the Mandalorian, as Mas- Ma- <coughs> Maxwell Lord, excuse me, yeah. uh, is something that I am interested in seeing. It's it's that plus the era that that takes place and has me interested. So. Oh, shut up. 80s I are played like, out. I like the 80s, though. Would you I say like you them. love the 80s? I do love the 80s. Are you like Hal Sparks? You love the 80s. That's or right. Like Mo Rocca. I am Mo Rocca. Oh, no. Well, then I have Did a lot you... of complaints. Let me tell you that uh, I saw your segment on CBS Sunday morning, and I was not pleased. Mo Rocca, Mo Money? Yeah, well, no, that's guess what? I've got a mobituary for you. It's probably for the best, let's face it. All I got is a CNBC gig. The fuck am I doing? I don't know. It was on Whose Line Is It Anyway once upon a time. Moraka was? Wasn't he? I don't remember. Him. I think you're thinking of somebody else. You think of Colin Mockery. I'm... You Are know, you I make that Greg mistake Proops? a lot. I'm thinking of Greg Proops, yeah. Because I almost <laughs> earlier was just like, did you like my role in the Phantom Minutes? And I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, I loaded up uh, Episode 1 Racer or the Dreamcast in an emulator the other day and was like, all right, there he is, Proopsy. I thought you were going to say Mo Rocca. No. Just Greg... to mock me. No. I would not. I have uh, immense respect for Greg Proops. Especially mm. for all of the things he said about George Lucas. Anyway. Hey, speaking of, uh, well, actually, we're done with news. Fuck, right. Get the news out of here. Because uh, I got something much more timely to talk about. A little video game called Police Knots. Woo! That's right. Nothing is more timely than this video game based on Lethal Weapon. Yes, that came out. What, 25 years ago? Uh, yeah, uh, development? Uh, it started in 1990. I didn't ask when I... development started, I asked when it came well, out. It the reason I bring that up is because Police Nonsense may be more defined by what was going on in 1990 than it was by 94 when it came out. All right. Because uh, at that point in time, there was some business going down about illegal organ trafficking in Japan, and mm-hmm. the game uh, deals heavily with organ trafficking, uh, but also is just uh, Kojima's fascination with space just condensed heavily into one game. And uh, Kojima's fascination with lethal weapon. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, also, uh, in the early 90s, there was stuff about like the first Japanese uh, man go into space uh, and that is what kind of kickstarted this whole thing for Kojima uh, it also being an adventure game uh, because it followed like very closely off the heels of Snatcher uh, and very much in a lot of ways a spiritual successor to that game uh, except I think it's a very easy call for me I like Snatcher a lot more than I like Police Knots uh, from what you have shown me of Police Knots I would that makes sense to me Yes. Uh, Police Knots is a little problematic. Uh, Snatcher <laughs> was too, but boy, boy, Police Knots is the horniest Hideo Kojima game I've seen in my entire life. And I can now, 
unless Boktai is somehow more horny <laughs> than Please Nots, which I doubt. No, it's not. Uh, oh, well, also um, Zone of the Enders. I Those would be like the only two uh, that I have not played at this point. Zone of the Enders um, is not, like, that's probably the least horny of any uh, Hideo game. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Snatcher was well, uh, pretty time. perverted in a, in a few places, but Snatcher never had a mechanic where every woman who has a portrait in the game was gropable. Uh, police, police knots does. I take that back. One character is not gropable that I know of, uh, but there is a mechanic in this game where you can... Uh, as you hover the cursor over things. In this game, as opposed to Snatcher, which gave you a list of things that you could observe, uh, Police Knots will let you kind of move a cursor around the room and focus on individual objects. And so if you focus on a woman's chest and you look a few times, uh, not only will you get remarks from the protagonist, Jonathan Ingram, about their bust size and how into it he is, but eventually it will open up a touch command and you can then jiggle their boobs, and they will bounce around on the portrait and make a boing sound. And then you can then do this repeatedly to the chagrin of Ed, his partner, and the women whose portraits become progressively more uncomfortable and pissed off with you. Shake it, baby. When there are police not, they let you do it. They let you do anything. Well, how about the actual game? Uh, How's that part? I do, I do have one more thing I wanted to mention with the booth. Oh, no. <laughs> there, there's a point in this game where... um, actually wonder if maybe this is a bit... Mm, maybe, maybe I should get into this in a bit. Uh, the, so the actual game, uh, obviously it being more of a visual novel thing, it's more about the narrative than it is necessarily the gameplay. But the uh, strength, I think, that Police Nos has over Snatcher is the actual, like, gameplay-heavy portions of it, I think, are actually better. Uh, Snatcher divided your screen up and basically has you shooting into different, like, corners just based on simple directional movements. Uh, Police Nos, because you have that full cursor control, it is more about trying to carefully aim your shots at what it wants you to hit. So the shooting gallery sections become a lot more difficult, whereas in Snatcher, they almost seemed pointless because they were just way too easy. Okay. Um, yeah, because in Snatcher, it's basically like whack-a-mole, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, there's more shooting segments in Police Knots over Snatcher, which had very, very few. Um, most of them actually were like in the last act of the game, which, as we had mentioned in that uh, podcast was added on long after the fact. So when you look at the version of Snatcher that was there when Police Knots was being dreamt up, like, there was even less. But there's also a lot more, like, actual adventure game puzzles in this uh, versus Snatcher, which is mostly just run through the options until eventually the story moves on, uh, which, like, that problem is definitely still in Police Knots. Uh, but there is actual segments of the game where it's like, here's a problem you're presented with and you need to navigate around it and figure out the best choice other than just rummaging through all the answers. Well, that's good, uh, at least. It is, and it's also not, because I also think that some of those are still very obtuse and just not very fun to play. Uh, in particular, there is a portion of the game uh, 
uh, where you are chasing the villain Tony Redman. Redman. Redwood. Is Method Man in it, too? I was about to say, I'm sorry. I started thinking of Method Man and Redman again. Remember they Uh, had that sitcom? Method and Red? They had movies. (laughs) Well, yeah, how high, of course. Yeah. Um... So you're you're chasing this villain, and it is this this very just multi part chase that really 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 goes where you're chasing him out of a uh, museum, and then you're chasing him on a motorcycle, you're chasing him on a train. Eventually, you force him into a shopping mall, and he drops a bomb inside of a bag in a bag store, and then runs out the back door. And instead of chasing him, you need to figure out first of all where's the bomb, and second of all, you need to disarm the bomb. Uh, the boob thing I wanted to mention is there is a very corpulent lady inside of this bag store. Jonathan, still into it, uh, and will give those boobs a jiggle, and it will fucking explode you. <laughs> you game over, and then Jonathan has a dialogue with Ed going like, I really need to stop doing this. I will never touch that woman's bazongas again. <laughs> and so you showed me that screenshot. And I thought it was fake. I thought you were making this up because that is something that you would type as a goof. It really is. I'm very famous for liking the word bazonga. Yeah, it's a very funny word. It is. It's it's pretty much that and hungamunga. <laughs> sure. Also, the aruga sound I really like. Unfortunately, yeah. not in the game. Yeah. Um, you mean uh, Murtaugh never like bugs his eyes out like a Tex Avery wolf? <laughs> I would Sadly, not put that no. past Kojima. Uh, look, it might not seem like it, but one of the things that I fault Police Knots on is it's actually far more grounded than Snatcher. That's a shame. Police Knots is, uh, I'll, I'll get into that stuff later uh, when I get into the narrative of this thing. But uh, that segment is very much worth talking about because it is a perfect encapsulation of everything right and wrong with Hideo Kojima as a game designer. First of all, starting on just a horny, perverted mess that results in a funny Easter egg game over thing. Uh, then you have to determine, so this whole shop, it sells these uh, famous bags, but they're all counterfeits. But you happen to have, like, a, a authentic bag on you, and the lady's bag that got stolen and got a bomb in it is also authentic. So you need to compare all the bags based on the first bag that you know is authentic to determine where the other authentic bag is. And it's basically a, um, like, one of those highlights for kids, like, figure out how many things is wrong with this picture kind of thing. Very cool. The problem is, yes. <laughs> the, it's like a Professor Layton puzzle. Yes. Uh, once you find the bag, though, you can't just simply say, oh, yes, this is the bag. I choose this one. We're moving on. You need to discard all the wrong bags and just leave the correct one. This frustrated me because the first bag I picked up was the correct bag, but I had to spend like a good five minutes very slowly going through menus to remove all the other like 13 bags that are in the shop. Great. Yeah. But I get there. I get the bag. I open it up. There's a bomb in it. Uh, We can't call for backup. We have to disarm the bomb right now. Uh, Very lethal weapon. Uh, Emulation on the Sega Saturn, not good. Well, yeah, infamously. Specifically with uh, transparencies, 
uh, it has a lot of issues with. In this section of the game, they, they say that it is light sensitive, so they need to go to infrared, which puts on a red overlay on the screen. Unfortunately, in Sega Saturn emulation, this just means the entire screen goes a bright red and you can't see anything underneath. Cool. And what you have to do is pick up a pair of pliers and go over and cut two cords on the other side of the screen, and there's a timer that is bleeding down while this is going on. You just have to do it blind? I did it blind. Great. Because <laughs> I had to do it blind. There's no way to fix this in emulation. I tried every setting I could. I just fucked around with a bunch of different cores. Uh, so <laughs> I found that if I move the cursor all the way to the top, like part of the handle of the pliers would like peek out over the transparent layer. So I used that to kind of like guide it around roughly to where I knew it was while like looking at a YouTube video of that section <laughs> to try Classic. to sort of feel it out. So fucking bad. That's so Kojima. It is. You know what's even more Kojima? You have a timer on this bomb the entire time. It is consistently ticking down even when characters are telling you things. But the characters have to explain each portion of this fucking keep talking and you don't explode minigame. Because mm -hmm. when you actually get like those wires cut, you have to then uh, pass a maze. You take It's like an operation thing where you need to like move this little bead through a maze and not touch the sides. And then when that's done, you have to unscrew this panel they need to screw it in the right order and only when the light is green, not when it's red. And then when that's off, you need to cut like five wires. And then you need to cut one more wire, but the wire is like refracted in the top panels. So you don't know which wire it is. And then when you cut that, the timer starts going down rapidly and you need to quickly get over and cut one more wire to shut the bomb off. Each of these sections has to have an explanation about what to do. But not only that, Kojima... You know, he heard about something cool, and so he needs to give a whole long explanation about, like, what this means in the field of bomb disposal while the fucking clock is going down. It's all about... It's, <laughs> it's about nuclear proliferation and uh, d deterrence. So what was great is I didn't realize there was a clock on it when I was cutting the two things under the transparent layer. And so when the transparent layer went up, I had not a whole lot of time left and I save stated, but the only like hard save before that was before the game where I had to figure out which bag the thing was even in. So like I had to just like mash on my keyboard to get through all the dialogue to quickly do each step and manage to finally clear it with one second left on the timer. Great. I like imagining you there the emulator wiping sweat off your brow i was like it was actually like legitimately tense and it didn't need to be the only reason it was tense was because a sega saturn emulation is terrible and b kojima really does not know when to reel it in so please but anyway yes th th that's the sort of stuff you can expect from like the puzzles in this game as frustrating as that sounds, I still appreciate it for actually having puzzles over Snatcher, which very much did not. Uh, but again, it being a visual novel, it's mostly about the story. Uh, the narrative in Snatcher, I think, is very much where people can start to kind of fall off with it because as opposed to... Or police taunts, rather. Snatcher, like I said, is is very much just like... It's a cyberpunk thing. It's very weird. It's bizarre. It's chock full of Kojima's humor.
Police science is much more grounded. It is hard science. There is a lot of very dry exposition about like real scientific theories about space. Uh, a lot of that stuff, at some point, my eyes just kind of glazed over. There's a, a section where you're going into a space museum and you have to click on absolutely everything in that museum and just like learn a lot of actual history about space travel. Uh, but it, just, it gets very dull to a point. Um, but I also think that he kind of leverages that in some interesting ways because a lot of the game is about like uh, the effects that living in space has on the human body, the different diseases that end up arising from just getting bombarded with cosmic radiation constantly, uh, which then facilitates this need for an underground like organ harvesting ring. Uh, but then it, it still has like enough weird Kojima shit in it where you still know it's Kojima. There's a section of that game where Meryl, uh, like, you try to fondle her boobs, and she's like, uh, not so fast, mister. You need to earn 500 points in the shooting gallery. And then... Oh, boy. Go ham. Great. What a reward. I earned 458 points, and I gave up. <laughs> okay. I spent about half an hour doing that. <laughs> Not proud of it. Mm. <sighs> but yeah, this uh, this game also came out uh, fairly close in time to Metal Gear Solid, uh, but precedes it. And so actually, uh, it's fairly interesting being a big fan of Metal Gear Solid, playing this and sort of seeing things that ended up getting carried into MGS from Please Nots. Uh Maybe you've heard of some of these things. Is I want to I want to see no. maybe uh, Meryl Silverberg. Sure. Foxhound. Uh huh. Solid Snake. Yep. Tokugawa Heavy Industries. Mm. On the helmet for the Cyborg Ninja. Oh, okay. Uh, shape Memory Alloy. Yep. Burst Transmission. Mm, I don't remember that. Codec. Whenever they needed to oh. like talk secure, they were okay, like, yeah, 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 don't worry about Burst Transmission. That, that's like, there's a, a section in this game where they need to talk uh, secretively, and they do it over Burst Transmission. Uh, Biomorts. Don't know that. What uh, Solidus Snake became a Biomort in Metal Gear Solid 4. Because his brain was like still alive, but his body was dead or something like that. Buy more to Big okay. Boss. Oh yeah, Big Boss. Great. Yeah. Remember how in Snatcher I said there's a part where you talk to the chief and you're like, ah, you must be the big boss around here, and then the chief betrays you. Uh huh. Same thing happens in Please Nots. <laughs> you meet the chief and you're like, ah, you must be the big boss. <laughs> Chima, what are you doing? <laughs> The thing is, he actually looks closer to Big Boss, too. Like, he's got the beard that's, like, all white hair, and he's, like, a Scottish guy, which, obviously, uh, back then, they were basing it off of Sean Connery. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I appreciate that. Die Hard um, shows up, and then Sam Porter Bridges says, you must be the Big Boss Man. Repatriates are mentioned in this game. <laughs> <laughs> Great. It, it means, like, a totally different thing, because it's, like, these anti-government protesters, they feel that they are owed something back, uh, but it still is just repatriates. Okay. Um, yeah. 
uh, I had almost told you about that, and then I realized that it was uh, implying a very different thing. Please tell me this game mentions transfaring. Uh, sadly, it does not. Oh. It does mention like transgender, though. Yeah. Which, for a game from 1994, I think is very noteworthy. Uh, apparently, depending on the translation you get, that scene where they bring that up is either very offensive or uh, much less so. I can believe it. Yeah, there is a initial transla translation where they call them biovestites, and uh, <laughs> okay, Jonathan Ingram says unfortunately the city is well known for them, and that he does not want to ever go in the club where they appear. Uh, in my translation, it was that uh, it's very common on Earth at that point in time for people to undergo sexual reassignment. That they are known as transgenders, and that the city is well known for having a transgender population. Okay. Uh, also, that place, it's a strip club that he's noting this about, is located next to a uh, ravioli store that sells child porn. <laughs> ravioli gate is real. Yeah. It's eerily predictive in some ways, as most Hideo Kojima games are. Just weirdly specific in this one. Uh, there's also that's really the great. One that he predicted, but okay. <laughs> Uh, there's this really great news report at some point in the game. I'm trying to find the picture of it really quickly. Um, oh, don't tell me I delete. No, I did. It's here. Uh, a news report about how like VR porn is like making a huge splash in the space colony. And oh, there's this yeah. line that says, looks like VR porn's just as big out here. Great. So another thing, just Kojima noting that, like, of course, VR would become entirely about pornography in the future. Well, uh, I mean, Kojima watches movies, and that had been in movies prior to that. Yes. So. Much yeah. how with uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you can often say, Araki saw a movie, and that's why this is here. That's also the case for 90% of Kojima's inclusions. Yeah, and that and that's uh, very much this game. I mean, outside of the the stuff that I think is just more commonly understood about it with the lethal weapon uh, references, but uh, like a lot of this is just oh, Kojima picked up a lot of facts about space and just wanted a way to regurgitate this stuff. There, there's a lot of we're in the middle of this shootout in a parking garage, but hold on, let me tell you about these magnets that keep the vehicles in place. Sure. Like, I, this guy's about to shoot me, but, you know, hold up. We've got some world building to do. Oh boy, world building. But uh, I was actually, like, I knew that Meryl was a fixture in this game. I did not realize that she's actually one of the main characters and that uh, her existence in Metal Gear Solid is solely because Kojima liked her character in Police Knots so much. Like, it wasn't intended from the beginning that she was going to be in both of those games. Um, kind of makes sense. She is barely in Metal Gear Solid, like yeah. considering uh, she her is iconic status. Easily, yeah, she she is easily in Police Knots far more and plays more substantive a substantive role in certain scenes than she does in Metal Gear, where she mostly shows up, gets mind controlled, and then also shot, and then goes caribou. <laughs> what, sure. What's that? <laughs> And then dies or doesn't die, depending on the ending. <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Fuck it. 
Oh man. Yeah, there's so a ratings, or do you have more well, so monthly I, stocks? I mean, there's there's just individual moments in that game that I I kind of want to talk about, but I'd, I'd also be here forever just diving into those. But I I do think that uh, I think that if Please Not is a little weird because I I do think that the more hard science stuff pushed me away from it and made it much more dry than Snatcher or pretty much any other Kojima game. Even though Kojima does get into hard science stuff in quite a few of his other games, he still, like, keeps it interesting by having the rest of those things be incredibly fucking weird. Uh, Police Knots isn't as weird as a lot of his other games. It's interesting in ways that aren't necessarily traditional Kojima games. It's also very problematic in some ways. Mm -hmm. Uh but I would still say, even though I think that this is probably the weakest Kojima game aside from Metal Gear Solid 4, I do still think that if people enjoyed Snatcher and they want more of that specifically from Kojima, Please Not is fun enough that those people, that audience, could make it to the end of this thing and have a good time with it. Um, I think our rating system last week did not work, did not go over well, so I'm changing the rating system. We're going on a percentage-based system uh, for this week's rating. Uh, and I would give Police Nazi 75%, although I would dock it 6% uh, purely due to the emulation issues. Unfortunately, the game's not widely available, so it's the only way I was able to enjoy the game, so I'm still holding that against it. Well, yeah, there's also no official English translation anyway, so you would have to emulate it to run that translation. Yes. So. Okay. A grand total of 69% for Police Nazi. Uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's the horniest game. I get it. Next segment, comics time. Here we go. So, DC Comics. You heard of them? Uh, well, they put out some bad movies. I think we might have mentioned them a couple of times on this podcast before. But Something they make comics too. Collected editions. Uh, that that Batman. Oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's part of it. Anyway, uh, they have had great success with the Action Comics and Detective Comics 1000 issues, which are 100-page anthologies uh, to celebrate the anniversary of the character. And since those were so big, they were like, let's do this for every character. It does not matter if they're hitting 1000 or not. We'll just call it whatever year anniversary, and so there are a ton of them coming out. And so we will review each one of them, Starting with this week's uh, Well I, I think it came out Last week maybe a couple weeks ago I don't know uh, Wonder Woman 750 mm-hmm. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, Hey you know I'm going to throw a theory out For you Let me, Tell me whether or not this lands with you uh, Detective Comics 1000 A lot of time to uh, build up to that right? You know, Get some artists and uh, some writers on board Put mm-hmm. together some good stories Maybe deciding to just start doing this for everything uh, Probably put writers and artists under a crunch yeah. uh, Resulting in some very questionable quality Between the stories included Very possible um, mm. Well, I will there say are some good artists in this thing that did not turn in good work. Yes, which is odd because there are also there are some stories that have pretty good art in them. 
Um, oh, yeah. in, in general, the art's probably the only thing I thought was overall pretty good. Uh, let's, well, okay, so. There Just want to go one by one? Yes, I'm trying to, there are nine stories total in this. Uh, first up is, <laughs> it's the finale for the previous arc, <laughs> uh, which again kind of implies that they did not plan on doing this. Uh, because the action and Detective 1000s included the first part of a new arc, which is what you should do for an anniversary issue meant to bring in new readers. Oh, man. So anyway, yeah, th- this was written was by Steve good. Orlando, who's bad and I don't like his comics, uh, penciled by Jesus Marino, who I do like. Uh, this story was nonsense. Yeah, I got very confused when you linked me the uh, well when you sent me the physical edition of this comic book through oh, yeah. U.S. Postal Service. Ab- I read absolutely. it in my hands, and it was a very legitimate experience that I was able to enjoy. Uh, it's okay. Um, I, you can just say I sent you the link to Comicsology where you purchased it for real money. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. I put my credit card information into that website that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. and was able to read the comic legally. I did buy this. I got the one with uh, the Brian Ballin cover, uh, which honestly, um, not very good. (laughs) Like you can't blame everything on emulation. Uh, (laughs) Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of the Brian Ballin cover for this. I probably should have gotten a different one, but thankfully DC and its solicits does not show you what the covers will look like. So you just have to look at the artist names and be like, yeah, okay. Oh, great. It's like disarming a bomb with those fuckers. Um, no, I did get very confused when you linked this to me because I was like, I knew you wanted me to read something. I wasn't sure why I was jumping into the middle of the story. And for a second, I thought that maybe you sent me the wrong thing. I, I wasn't sure what was going on. And then realizing it was a 1000 thing and just confirming with you that we were going through the whole. Uh, so, yeah, this seems like a really fucking bad way to open a anniversary issue because I had no idea what was going on. Cheetah's mad about something. And uh, Wonder Woman just wants everyone to stop fighting Yeah, Hera's there, she does a thing, I don't know It's also kind of indicative of of a problem throughout this issue And actually kind of a problem with the character Well, not necessarily with the character, but with the way people approach the character Which is that she is perfect And nothing, like, can't do anything wrong And everybody loves her And there's no actual conflict for the most part I mean, that's what has traditionally pushed me away from Wonder Woman is that sort of, like, Superman thing of just this character is infallible, can do no wrong, they are perfect and virtuous. Uh, Superman, I know that they've played around with that a lot more than they have with Wonder Woman. They, mm-hmm. they've There's a lot of writers who have made a conscious effort to try to, like, push against that image. Uh, and I think that's actually why I, the, the Wonder Woman I like the most is in the Unjustice games. I think the main thing, the advantage Superman has there is that Superman has good villains. He has Lex Luthor, he has Brainiac, uh, yeah. Parasite. Like, there, there are villains. Wonder Mr. Woman has Mix, Cheetah. Mixplick? Yeah, Mr. Mixlepidilic. Sure. Mix, sure. Yeah, um, well, I don't. I mean, I, I don't. That's how I've heard it pronounced. I, I don't really know. But... Um, Wonder Woman has Cheetah, who is pretty boring, and that's it. So there was a recent arc that I would recommend, uh, written by James Robinson, 
of her against Darkseid. And that one was really good. It introduced like her brother and all of the stuff with them I liked quite a bit. Mm. Um then it moved to Steve Orlando and I stopped buying the book. Because it was very much like it is here. Um yeah. What's some other stuff that Orlando has done? Is there anything that I'd recognize him from in particular? Oh did the Midnighter book. Keep in mind I only read 15. Batman. Uh, and probably not. Like some Star Wars. He might have done a Star War. I don't know. I looked at a Hellboy comic once. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, I, a Hellboy with Ron Perlman, right? And I opened it up and it was not Ron P- Perlman at all. It was not Ron Pullman either. <laughs> no, uh, it was definitely not. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything yeah. Steve Orlando has done that. You would recognize um, It says he has written characters Such as Batman, Martian Manhunter And Wonder Woman So apparently he did a Batman at some point I need to figure out what Batman comic this is now Oh, he, he was like one of the fill-in guys on uh, Eternal Oh so that's what it was. Yeah, I did not give Eternal the time of day at all well, you know, it's a, Did not look it's a weekly to comic. They they had to had to do something. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Huh? A confusing way to open this thing. Uh, the second one, though, also did not care for. I really, really hated this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I have no idea what the purpose of this is. It's just little girl with flower powers puts out a fire and then hangs out with Wonder Woman. And then Wonder Woman's mom shows up and is just like, hey, one of your friends died. Anyway, I'm going to give a real awkward hug to these two grown-ass adults. Also, the friend was a shark. Uh, <laughs> this, seem, <Yeah>. this seems <laughs> like... It was like a horse. <laughs> there, this seems like them trying to be like, uh, Wonder Woman is also a friend of the blacks. Like, it was very transparent. Like, this was the comic equivalent of Mitt Romney saying who let the dogs out like a desperate attempt and then I went and looked it's like oh of course Gail Simone wrote this I just I'm so hung up on the death thing because there was at first I was like oh no Wonder Woman's horse died and then I was like a shark (laughs) that's my review of this issue of Wonder Woman this segment you keep calling them issues when they're like eight pages um as close enough. Thanks, Gail Simone. Also, this art. These was characters fine. sucked. Yeah, no, the art was not good either. Uh, I don't know. This there's a whole thing about eating mac and cheese and God, it just it yeah. went nowhere, man. Like the, I don't understand what the point of this issue was, other than yeah, sure, Wonder Woman, friend to the blacks. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Uh, next up was the interrogation. This one, I, I kind of, I thought the idea was okay. It was kind of over. I liked it because um, it was a breath of fresh air after the last two things sure. that I had read. And this one, I, I think like, oh. I, this was probably the art I liked the most in the entire thing by Elena Casagrande. Uh, I like her art Good. a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's by, my favorite. By the way, by Marco Tamaki, who did 
Oh, that recent uh, the Harley Quinn Breaking Glass graphic novel. But um, the DC Black Label one, right? No, no, the, it's like their um their younger readers thing, or like oh. like teen readers, I think. It's it's like her in a high school. It's one of those types of things. Uh, it has art by Steve Pugh, which looked pretty good. Anyway, what were you gonna say? Uh, just that um, it's not my favorite art out of all these, but it is very good. Uh, and I, it's a very quick, very um, it's uh, comics are a, a funny, funny thing. Um, funny pages, some would say. What are you doing? Did you have a stroke? I need to help. Next up was... <laughs> 93 pages of Wonder Woman. This morning, right before doing this. Uh, it, was, it was a totally fine story. I like the whole bit of like, oh, it's Ares in disguise, but it turns out Ares is the one who's duped. Now he's in a cage. They, put, they fucking put Ares in the box. Yeah, that was all uh, right. But I also feel that like it... I think it would have been more interesting if this had more space to breathe and got into more of, like, Ares' view of Wonder Woman and her view of Ares and having that kind of argument while fighting each other and doing all this deceptive shit. But the the short space that it was contained in, I think, did not do that story any favors. Yeah, uh, part of my problem with this one was that it fell into the same trap a lot of these stories did, which was just narration about like Wonder Woman and what she represents while it's just splash pages of her like flying around or whatever. Yeah, but I do think that this um the, the framework here actually would have been a, a good way to do something like that. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think a lot of these other ones just that that doesn't feel as good doesn't feel like it, these other stories have as good of a, a base idea to then explore that as a storytelling mechanic. But again, like this was, uh, I guess this doesn't tell me exactly how many pages this was. It was very short. It's probably also only like. I th I think that's because it was, like, the amount of splash pages in it. I think all of them are like six to eight pages, except yeah. for the finale, which was just like a regular issue jammed in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, next up, never change. Uh, yeah. didn't like this one. Rick Ruka. Maybe yeah. you've heard of him. Yeah, I like Greg yeah. Rook a lot. Didn't like this. Yeah. I don't remember what Never Change was exactly. Uh, it's I'm the one confusing it with the Phil Hester one. She goes to uh, Circe, who says oh, that right, she can right, turn right. Cheetah back human, and then they go and try to do it, and then it doesn't work, and then she gets her lasso back, and nothing matters. Yes. Yeah. A very defeatist story. Uh, I liked the art in it. Oh yeah, uh, I, Scott, fantastic. Yeah, terrific. Re really, really, really good, solid art. Uh, I think if I were ranking the art so far, this would be my number two, and the interrogation uh, would be my number three. Um, but yeah, like the the story ultimately also does not go anywhere. the The whole point is that she is making this deal to free Cheetah from whatever, like, kind of corruption happened to her. I don't actually know anything about Cheetah. Uh, the first story at least established to me that she was, like, more sane and 
was Diana's friend at some point in time. Yes. And now is is under a curse or something like that. Yeah, it, yeah, she's magical, which is kind of the main thing, uh, because okay. like basically only magical stuff can hurt Diana, so that's kind of important. Uh, same with Superman. Okay. Like in a weird way, like Cheetah is far more dangerous to Superman than like the Joker would be or something, just because mm. she's magic. Um, but yeah, I would actually recommend going and getting the uh, beginning of the Rebirth series of Wonder Woman. By Greg Rucka and Nicola Scott um, Because it was really good Unlike this bit which should have been a Really cool reunion of them uh, And uh Just kind of fell flat on its face Yeah I, I think Ultimately that I, mean, I, I think if I Maybe understood and appreciated more the relationship Between those characters having it be that Hey we're offering Cheetah this out And she can return to who she was if she just says her real name and then she says Cheetah and it's like, oh, that's who she really is now. Like, I, maybe it would have mattered to me more, but with the way that this was all kind of laid out, it just sort of fell flat where it was just like, hey, sorry about your friend. Anyway, here's your lasso back. Yeah, that that's kind of the weird thing is it sort of sets up these stakes of, well, she's giving up her lasso to turn Cheetah back, but then at the end it's just, yeah, here you go. Take it back. Yeah. Yeah. Next uh, up, To Leave Paradise uh, This one, art by Phil Hester uh, I generally like Phil Hester This looks like he had about 10 minutes to draw it Yes, it is a very, very simple line work I do not remember issue. anything about the story uh, This was that. written by Kemi Garcia Oh, it's it's just like It's Diana like on the Amazon island uh, Themyscira And just like looking around at stuff Yeah it's just her kind of talking to people Wandering around um, She's kind of going over the story of Hercules And how he enslaved the uh, Amazons And you know they broke their chain of bondage And then uh, she's She's mostly like uh, Musing on what the world of man is like And everyone's just like Kind of fucked and shitty And like really <laughs> you shouldn't leave And everyone should stay here And then we can all make out it's very great and it's awesome and george likes it a lot okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um moving on the guy played police knots i'm disgusting <laughs> moving on emergency visit uh i hated this one um uh this was the one with um what's her face she like she lost the ability to use her legs she got no. uh, nanites and then she got no that's no, no. Emergency visit is the Riley Rossmo one. So oh fuck, I already blocked that out of my brain. So I like Riley Rossmo. I yeah. I actually, you sent me pictures of this, and you were talking about how bad it looked. I actually kind of like it. Terrible. I kind of no. like it. It looks You're wrong. it looks super bad and weird, but I kind of like it. Shut up! It looks like trash. But the it thing is, like... like, with everything else here, like, portraying Diana as, like, this statuesque god and everything, I really like this one just looking like a messed up like, clay monster drawn on a napkin. <laughs> it looks like Riley Rosmo had this all penciled up and it was great, and then he put the ink on it and it was still wet, and a gust of wind blew through the window <laughs> while the pie was resting, cooling off on the windowsill, 
and it blew all of his papers onto the floor and the ink smudged on every single one of them. Yeah. It was like, oh no, my deadline is tomorrow because DZ's run by fucking maniacs. <laughs> and so he just shoved it all into a manila envelope and jammed it into his mailbox. And it came out like this. It looks like trash. Everyone's faces are melting. <laughs> no one looks even remotely on model from panel to panel. They look completely uh -huh. different. Yep. Wonder Woman's physical build and height are in constant flux during this entire chapter. Honestly, that was one of my favorite things about it. Like, I liked how sometimes she was just, like, huge next to everybody else. Sometimes she's, like, tinier than her mom, and, at, and then, like, at the last panel, she's, like, the fucking Hulk sitting at a kitty table, yep. and her mom's, like, what a normal human being would look like. Uh, I'm not saying it's good. What the fuck, good. Riley? No, it's it's so bad in a really remarkable and funny way. So it's not like I didn't get anything out of it. But yes, like I've seen Riley Rosmo's art before and I really, really, really like it. Uh, I've seen them do stuff for Batman, which is the only comic that I read. We've been over this and it looks terrific. And so like I had a moment where when I saw the first page of this, I was like, oh, shit. And then I saw Riley Rosmo's name on there and just... I had to like look it up and make sure this was not a case of mistaken identity and and no it's honestly it's weird to me that he did draw some of batman because like his whole thing is drawing super grotesque things yeah um like i don't they did some stuff for constantine right yes yeah that uh the constantine relaunch he did um okay. there was a really good series green green lantern green? no <laughs> <laughs> it was like about another it's like a dimension or an underworld full of uh hp lovecraft style fishmen um sounds great it was really good green wake i think uh that one i would recommend it's just like only ran like 12 issues i think um but yeah th this was not not his best this is if i needed a reference to to if, if anyone wanted to just sit there and bitch and complain about how a comic or something is not coming out fast enough, this is the thing I would point to to show what a crunch would do to somebody's art. Yeah. Because I, I can't imagine this is anything other than Rosmo being put under like an intense pressure by a deadline. Yes, this, he's way better than this seems like the others they had in the can and then they sort yeah. of realized they were going to do this. I, I bet the Phil Hester one was kind of the same situation. Um, the Gail Simone one also might be. I don't know. Uh, she's kind of bad in general, so it's hard to tell. In fact, that's the thing about... It's not just the art that's a problem. The story sucked, too. Um, where the whole thing is Diana gets called back to Themyscira because they're being under attack by a Hydra. Also, all of the dialogue is awful. There's a guy that yells yeet and another guy that yells yes she's so great or something um and then guy gardner I'll says I... <laughs> you did yeah. not read guy gardner <laughs> well there were actual panels of this where i was just like so bewildered by the artwork that i <laughs> the lines just became lost on me um <laughs> well, but yes guy gardner stands out because he his dialogue is so positively out of character for him I did not realize that was Guy Gardner until they straight up told me. Wow, I hit the page first try. 
Guy Gardner says, Hey, Dub Dub, they need you on Chick Island. <laughs> yeah, spoken exactly in Guy Gardner's voice. I mean, Guy Gardner is kind of a jerk in something, but... It's yeah. like if I had to write a Wonder Woman comic, I would not understand how anybody speaks. Yeah. I would just, I would just write him like a jackass, basically. I forgot about this part where she says, We must employ caltrops, mother. Bind it where it stands. And I don't see them using caltrops. So like what I think don't they don't they like reject that idea or something like because the way she defeats it is she just tells everyone to move out of her way. Which you think she would have just done that to begin with. Well, also it doesn't matter because they just engineered like this was yeah. a false flag operation. <laughs> yeah, and she rightfully storms out of there. Yeah. She's just like, Mom, this is fucked and manipulative. I'm sick of you gaslighting me. Yeah, and all and the then, other like, people. And then the next the day, she's just like, just like, yeah, changed my mind. Let's have a nice spaghetti dinner. <laughs> yeah. The other Amazons went along with it, too. They're just like, yeah, we knew. Yeah. Just like, yeah, this would be a fucked up thing to do. Screw it. Yeah. Like, yeah, Hippolyta has not on. always been perfect, but uh, that's, like, maybe the worst thing she's ever done. There's a really awkward line in this too where she's just like, so have you met a nice girl or guy? I don't care which. Like, (laughs) oh, wow, this is very progressive. As a bisexual, I feel so validated into being represented in this crap-ass comic with the fucking mud people. Thank you, Shannon Shannon and Dean Hale for making Wonder Woman an ally to the straights. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) God, man, like next. Look, we, like, look at it. Like, obviously, there's more. nothing about that that bothers me. It is the way that that is worded. It there just feels so cringy. Like, it's just a really bad line in a, in a in a chapter that has had like a lot of bad lines, like you said. Yeah. Next um, up was to me, uh, by Marguerite yes. Bennett, who I believe is the writer for the Bombshell series. Because that's what this is. It's like yes. a, an excerpt. So this actually, this was the one that had the art that I liked the most. Yeah, that was uh, good. Uh, Laura Braga does the art for this yeah. one, and it's really good. Amazing artist. Yeah, a lot of uh, splash pages in this, and I think all of them are framed very well. They look incredible. Uh, uh, I will definitely screw that name up. Uh, Ramulo Fajardo Jr. Sure. I'll let you take the fall on that one so I don't have to. I'm very bad with names, like just in general. Uh, The colorist on this, I feel, did an incredible job. Uh, It's just very vibrant. It looks fantastic. It also does a good job of evoking, like, the old-timey nature of it. Yes. Um, Yeah. Because, yes, this is supposed to be, like, in the 40s, um, a League of Their Own style thing with Batwoman being, like, an actual baseball player. This one was all right. I really like these particular designs that they're going for with these characters as well. So I've like, never I, read... I really dig this style of Wonder Woman where she's invoking that uh, Rosie the Riveter. Yeah, yeah. I've never read that series. Um, Marguerite Bennett really put me off with that horrible, horrible Joker's Daughter comic she did that time. Uh, oh, and... that was her. Yes. And 
I think on Batwoman, she was on that for a while, and it was really bad too. Uh, maybe Bombshells is good. I don't know. This was totally fine. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is uh if anything really did it for me out of this uh anniversary thing, whatever DC is trying to make happen. Uh, it, it's that this made me kind of want to go read Bombshells. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. I just I really like the look of it, and I am really really into this art and the colors that they selected for it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel it's very often that like a uh, the color work in a comic kind of strikes me in a way where I actually feel the need to go figure out who the colorist is. Uh, but this is up there. Um, I mean, speaking of uh, Scott Snyder, uh, contributes to this this whole thing and uh, his run on Batman, the uh, color work in that is incredible. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't... Well, if you're going to go read Bombshells, I don't know if Laura Braga does the art on that or not. I couldn't well really then if you. not I am not interested <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I might be it depends on who is uh doing the art in that but I would I would hope that it's Laura Braga I mean I never read it because it was just like the idea of an ongoing comic based on statues they've released is ridiculous to me but uh, whatever I don't know I really like the design of it uh, the, sure I do too characters um, uh anyway always Yep, always. This is the one, uh, the Hawk Lady. I lost interest about halfway through this story. I wasn't sure what was going on with this. Like, they try to explain it, but I have a feeling that this is also one of those things where it's like these character relationships have been established in the ongoing series and that you're not getting a full picture of it. I don't know. I didn't recognize the character. (laughs) I'm confused why she's so the the basic plot of this thing is that a uh woman who was paralyzed um and saved by Wonder Woman, although I guess the implication is maybe Wonder Woman got there too late or she was injured because of Wonder Woman, like the this is wires have gotten crossed in her mind. Uh, because she's undergone an experimental like nanotherapy that has given her the use of her legs again, but have also turned her into like a murderous hawk lady. Nano machine, son. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, she kills people now because it makes Wonder Woman sad, but then Wonder Woman is still her friend, and so she kind of, like, has a breakdown while fighting her and goes to jail voluntarily, I guess, and gets the nanomachines taken out of her, but is now sad that Wonder Woman's not visiting her, but hey, guess what? She shows up anyway. Yeah. Uh, art in this I thought was all right, uh, by, here, here's my turn to fall off a cliff. Yeah, all right, no, you do it. I'm uh, Amanche oh. Nahuelpan, I think. Oh, that's how you say it, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's how, yeah, I how say does that it. feel? I don't know. Uh, this the art reminded me a lot of Terry Dodson, actually. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty that. good. Yeah, I like the art. Uh, I like the art in this a lot. Um, my number four, v- Vita Ayala, uh, who I have found. Variable in the past, Livewire was alright um, I believe now she's doing James Bond Which is, is apparently not good at all huh. but she's Well, doing I mean, much with... like a James Bond movie, I guess Yeah, well, well she's doing that with Forget her name, but she wrote uh, Queen of Bad Dreams Which is one of the worst comics I've read in recent memory 
and so that might be more of the case. Uh, but yeah, this this one I did not care about. I like the art in it, and I feel that this is maybe telling a good story, but that story is much like the Cheetah thing, probably helped by having prior knowledge of these characters and their relationship, which I don't have. I don't so. know that this is a pre-existing character. If, if that's the case, then then yeah, man, this uh, it's not a good story. I've never heard of her, at least, so not that I'm entirely up to date. To uh, but... And then last story, this was my favorite of all. Of <gasps> really? Yes. This is my favorite, like in terms of the writing, but the yeah. art I felt was strong in like the first few pages, and then it just kind of dove off a cliff. Oh, I thought the opposite. Like it looked really it, sketchy like, in the first it, parts, and then it comes back around. Shows up. Definitely, like when when Wonder Woman actually shows up at the end of this thing, the art ticks back up. Yeah, and becomes the strongest. Like the stuff of her, like lifting the train and everything. Like all that looks really, really good. Yeah, but, like the first two pages, I felt also had like some pretty solid uh, artwork in it. They were more establishing shots and everything, so it was more about just the architectural work going on. Looked mm. pretty solid. Uh, but then, yeah, when it actually just gets into like the president and his men talking to each other, gets kind of the art becomes dumbed down. The line work becomes oh, a lot okay. more simple. That's what I was thinking of. I was thinking it start. I forgot about those opening pages. Yeah, yeah. Those, I, I was thinking yeah. of the parts with FDR in the office. I was like, Ryan, boy, you must have been under a deadline on this one too, or maybe just didn't care. It's weird I, to see Brian kinda... Hitch doing interiors again. Honestly, it's. I, I, I kind of understand it, though, like when you're doing dialogue heavy scenes that you just want to get through because like you're maybe drawing some like tertiary characters or something like that that you're not quite as invested in, mm-hmm. the art can kind of subconsciously take a hit because you're just you're not as in it as you may be for when like, I don't know, Wonder Woman shows up and lifts a damn train. Well, yeah, that does kind of make sense for Brian Hitch anyway, because like, his whole thing is bombastic action sequences. That's why he made his name on yeah. with the authority and all of that stuff. Um, but also, yeah, I did just like the writing here uh, from our pal Scott Snyder. So unsurprisingly, yeah. this is the best one. I just thought all of the stuff oh. in FDR's in his office with the guy talking about like maybe you should be worried about somebody blowing your head off and giving him a button that will release doves uh that stuff was funny yeah that was really good um but yeah as far as the art stuff goes like i've when i've drawn comics in the past and it's it's a scene with characters that i am just like they're not main characters or something they're just going to be here for like this one scene like the same thing has happened to me where, like, I go back and look at those pages, and I'm like, the line work here is way more simplistic and just not very good compared to everything else. So I sympathize with Brian Hitch. Sure. Assuming and... that's the case and not deadlines, which, you know, for this thing, Christ only knows. It, yeah, it could have been. I don't know. I only say that because he is also doing other books at the moment. So that's why I oh, think sure. it might have something to do with it. Yeah. Um. But yes, this one was good. Uh, notable because this, I think, is the first one to establish that Wonder Woman is the first superhero in the like current canon timeline. Which is something that's been talked about recently. 
Um, I'm into a, a real Captain America uh, first Avenger mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, basically. As in it is precisely like that. Yeah. Uh, there was, um, there's been talk about DC like coming up with a new streamlined timeline, and I think this is the first example of that. Or it might have been, that actually might have been referenced in Doomsday Clock. I'm not sure. I haven't read the end of Doomsday Clock. Timelines in comics, like the, especially in the case of something like a DC or a Marvel, is just very weird to me. Because if you have a character yeah. that's like Wonder Woman, who you can kind of understand to just be ageless, you can very much just have their like premiere be World War II, keep it as that, and be totally fine. But mm-hmm. when you start to work something in like Batman, or really any other character, where like the starting point is not quite as important in terms of what era you're going for. When you set it as that, you are then dating them there, and the further you move away from that, the less it works. Yeah, I mean, it's the standard comic problem of a rolling timeline. Um, yeah. But it's DC, they'll just reset it all in, like, I don't know, another eight, ten years yeah. at dust. It's just strange that they felt the need to clarify this, because, like, yeah, she's immortal. So, of course, she would probably have been around longer than everyone else, especially Superman, because... Even though Superman technically is pretty much immortal, uh, it, people would notice after a while if he was not aging, and so he couldn't have been around that long. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, they also show like, isn't it understood that Superman also just ages regularly though? Because like he was a boy and he grew up to be a man. He did, but I think then he kind of freezes for a while. Mm. Because so, like. I'm trying to I guess think. Different species don't necessarily age uh, in, in the same way as other species. Yeah, so it's like Baby Yoda. Uh, well, I'm Maybe trying to think. Exactly what I was going for. In Kingdom Come, he does have like gray hair and stuff, but then yeah, that's um, not canon. So yeah. I was always under the impression that he was kind of just frozen at adulthood. He ages like a Saiyan. Yeah, sure. Like that's a that's a thing in Dragon Ball is uh, apparently Saiyans actually live for a very long time and their aging kind of halts around like thirty forty years and they stick as that for a long time. Sure. Uh, which is why Vegeta still looks super youthful and uh, just all around great, and Bulma <laughs> looked pretty haggard by the time of Super. Yeah. And she's trying to find the Dragon Balls to get just a little bit younger. Uh, so you know what? By the way, that's the series saying it, and not me. Great. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. I do not judge Bulma for aging, but the comic does. Well, that's it. Uh, ratings, ratings. What would you give Wonder Woman seven fifty uh... out of ten? Uh, hold on, let me count how many stories in this I thought at least had good artwork. Oh, okay. Four, I'm... and there was nine stories, so uh, five out of ten. Really? Okay, I'm going with a three. Actually, you know what? I changed it to a four, because uh, half of reading comics is reading the words that yep. are in the images, and uh, 80% or, like, eight out of nine of these things 
had bad words written with those images. They were mm. not good reads. Mm. Scott Snyder, the only one with a particularly strong story. The others were just kind of bad to mediocre. Uh, I think that this thing's saving grace is mostly in its art, which uh, even then, disproportionately, the art is not good. Yeah. Well, yes, I would give it a three uh, for pretty much the reasons stated. Should be obvious. So that's it. Looking for forward to the the rest of these things that DC's putting out. I guess. I mean, hey, it's a real well, strong first showing. Look, I will say, future ones have better potential. Well, the next one I think will be the Robin one, and who knows how that will be. But oh, the yeah. Catwoman one is going to have <gasps> a story from Ed Brubaker and Cameron Stewart, which takes place. It's like a canon sequel to their run, which is the best. Catwoman run. Yes. Um, Joker has. I don't remember what the actual lineup is for Joker, but it has some pretty good ones too. So. Put Azarello on there. I think yeah. I think he's doing one. I believe Greg Capullo is drawing a story in it. It might be Wayne Snyder. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't want to jump into uh, Batman Damned here, but the thing that I appreciate that. About that is that they do seem to be setting up a whole like Joker like Azarello universe uh, off of that thing with him having survived. So if he could get yeah, like just also a, a real dead, short so. like, six to eight pages about what kind of happens after that, could be. I don't know. Me up. I, I would have to really? look. I'm not going to take the time to look it up now while recording. So. Uh, yes, I believe the next one will be the Robin one, as far as I know. Hmm. But that's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Uh, yeah. Whatever there is to talk about next week, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I'm playing Lunar Silver Star Story, so I don't know. By the time we record, maybe I'll I'll be done with that. Uh, no, that's not it. Nobody cares. All right. Until next week. <laughs> that, that is definitely true. <laughs> yes. I've been Larry Davis. Uh I've been uh um George. Great. Brundle. Goodbye. Dinosaurs. <laughs> That's it. You got it. <laughs>